Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and enjoying all the time with family and friends. Uh, so I thought I would do something a little fun this weekend. I thought I would do a review of the, the kind of limited series on Netflix called uh, Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel. And I want to get in and... Uh, just add my little screen here for everyone so we could take a look at this. So uh, so Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel, this was a limited series that uh, just came on Netflix not too long ago. And I had a chance to watch this and review it, and I just thought it was an absolutely excellent business case. I thought there were some some incredibly great lessons to be learned here. And uh, hopefully at the, at the end, I'm going to I'm going to tie back into like, how does this relate to banking? Like, why would this be important uh, to a banker or to a banking environment and how these these things kind of work? So um, so if I could set the stage here, I'm going to go into the first slide. So just to give everybody a little bit of background here. So basically, this was released in 2023. The documentary was based on a book on the book Big Vape by Jamie Duchamar. And Jewel was founded by James Monsees and Adam Bowen. And the synopsis here is basically this is a limited series following the founders of the vaping company Jewel, how they got started, what uh, you know, what went right, what went wrong, and how they ultimately got forced out of the company. Uh, the runtime is approximately four episodes at approximately 200 minutes, which is roughly about 50 minutes per episode. So not, not too long, nothing too crazy there with that. Uh, so as we get into the story here, uh, it basically starts out with, uh, with again, James and Adam, these two students who were Stanford students, and basically started out with a thesis where they basically said, we think we can, we can improve upon the tobacco industry. We think we can make a product that will be uh, safer than smoking cigarettes. And the theory there really came from the fact that with a cigarette, you basically have to light it up. You have to, you have to burn the tobacco leaves that the tobacco is, is wrapped in, in order to, and as the delivery system, in order to get the hit of, the hit of nicotine, which is embedded inside of the cigarette. So there are theory was we can come up with an electronic device that basically can be used as so that no, you know no tobacco paper would be needed no lighting of any kind would be needed uh, it would basically be like a almost like a direct injection system that would just deliver the nicotine straight to you so that that was basically the thesis here um, <laughs> I think the irony is that they said that you know the whole purpose of the company was to stop people from smoking uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back to that in in a minute but uh, so the they used big tobacco research to come up with the formula for the nicotine. They basically created what was called a salted nicotine, uh, which uh, basically went into the jewel like the cartridge. Uh, so the jewel. So I'm, I'm going to take a step back for a second here. You can kind of see in the picture here um, of the the delivery system. It oh, it almost looked like a little like a pen or or like a thick pen or almost like a thumb drive, and basically the 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 nicotine cartridge just kind of plugged into the top of it and then you just and then you just vaped it there was no no on off button nothing like that uh, you just plug the cartridge in a little light popped up basically saying that like yeah you're fully charged and ready to go and then you just start puffing on this thing you just start vaping um the interesting thing was that the the uh the device itself could just be plugged in, could be recharged by plugging it into a simple USB drive. Uh, and then that, that came down to 
other issues that we're going to also get into later about how uh, they were tracking and other things that they were doing with with some of the customers. So, but let's get back down here for a second. So they uh, they used big tobacco research to come up with the formula for the nicotine. Uh, they basically came up with an assortment of colors and different flavors that they used uh, to market. I think they had they had like mango and mint were a couple of the big most most uh, you know uh, uh, I would say the um, uh, the most popular, the most popular type flavors they were using. So typical with a, a tech startup company is that they had a, um, a mantra of, you know, move fast and break things. Um, that, that unfortunately did not go for them uh, so well in this whole thing. And I think we're, you know, we're going to see here in, in a minute or two, you know, why that really blew up in their face on this one. Um, and then we get into the marketing campaign. Now, the marketing campaign was a very, very interesting aspect to this whole thing because as a tech company, uh, they obviously wanted to market to younger crowd. I mean, I think they really saw themselves as kind of like the um, the apple of the tobacco industry, so to speak. I think that was kind of how they were looking, looking at themselves. Um, and they did create a technically a tech product uh, but they but again they got into the, the the cigarette industry and that and that's where i think things really kind of went askew with that so the marketing campaign focused on ended up focusing on basically teenagers and you know basically young kids and it the the marketing campaign they they put basically put this whole thing together in a month brought in this uh this this gentleman to come in and produce the marketing campaign for them and they really wanted to market themselves as not not a a uh not a product but basically a lifestyle brand you know jewel was a lifestyle it was a it was you know it was part of being cool and hip and you know you want to focus on the younger kids the the irony of what happened with that is that they you know they did they they took all this research from big tobacco in terms of trying to create the nicotine formula that they were they were going to use in their product they ignore ignored all the research from big tobacco in terms of of their advertising the history of their advertising and then also uh the negative effects of nicotine they seem to just you know totally miss all that research uh that obviously uh proved to be uh quite important now the funny thing is, if you go back to the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, um, all of the gimmicks, if you will, of the marketing campaign that was used by Juul was actually also used by Big Tobacco it was selling cigarettes as a lifestyle brand. It was, you know, cigarettes were all used by actors and by uh, famous people, but in particularly young people, you know, teenagers, young adults, you know, it was cool and hip to be smoking cigarettes and have your lighter and and all this all this kind of stuff you know and jewel basically did the exact same thing in their marketing campaign uh now obviously what's interesting is that you know big tobacco in the decades since they have been very limited in the type of advertising that they can that they can do and of course they can't market to anybody under the age of 18. um so Jewel, because it was a tech company, was able to kind of get away with a bunch of stuff in their in their initial marketing campaigns that uh, Big Tobacco could simply couldn't do. So moving on here. So as the company began to grow in its first couple of years, they ran into some typical problems of, of any startup company. They basically had co some quality issues as they began to produce more and more of their product, uh, had some major supply chain issues. 
Um, again, these are these are kind of normal type issues, I think, for any type of startup company. Uh, James, who was the CEO, I mean, this kind of proved to be a little bit too much for him. So they, they removed him and brought in a guy named Kevin Burns. He becomes CEO. Uh, then the company, you know, Kevin was kind of a supply chain expert. So, so it made a lot of sense as to at the moment why they brought him in so he kind of fixes those issues moves things along now the company really blows up 2014 2015 2016 2017 and the company now has a it ends up with a 10 billion dollar market valuation and they and and the a unicorn was a company with a valuation of a billion dollars so they had to come up with kind of a new name for a, a startup that had a 10 billion value and they came up with this name this decacorn so which i thought was <laughs> kind of kind of corny but you know interesting than the same so they were a decacorn so now here's where all the the things start coming in so in 2012 less than one percent of teenagers uh, were using cigarettes. That's because there were just a lot of negative connotations towards cigarette usage. Uh, you know, obviously getting cancer, just the smell of it, uh, all, all this, all the kind of negative aspects of, of smoking. So you really was in 2012, there was really no issue with teenagers and smoking at that point. Social media then began to glamorize Juul as a lifestyle. Uh, vaping just became a phenomenon, just you know, almost overnight in uh, 2017, it just took off. And it all gets back to that kind of original marketing campaign. And then social media got in there and then boom, and then it just, it just went. Uh, and what they found out was that, you know, kids got addicted to the nicotine. Surprise, surprise. Again, they you know, obviously skipped over that that research on on all the decades of, of research on nicotine and how addictive it is. So the kids got addicted to the nicotine and what they found out was they they got they got addicted to it almost instantly. Almost instantly they got addicted to the nicotine. Now Jewel claimed that it was safer because you didn't have to burn the tobacco leaves to get to the nicotine hit, so to speak. Um However, what they found out was that Juul delivered more nicotine in their cartridge than than you would have gotten if you just smoked a cigarette. So so that so while you didn't have the burning tobacco leaves, you had a lot more nicotine in there when you know that that as part of that vaping system. So you were you were taking in a tremendous amount more uh, nicotine in there. So. And then, of course, obviously, as a lot of people know that have, have done any kind of research on big tobacco, is it is it, you know, nicotine, you know, once you get addicted to it, it basically you're you can be addicted to it for decades, um, not days, weeks, months, years, decades. It could take uh, it could take almost a lifetime to get off of this stuff. Um, and then basically what happened is you you ended up having the vape, the vape equivalent of chain smoking amongst teenagers that, that basically that basically ballooned out now. Um, while all this is going on, obviously the company is taking off. Their sales go from 200 million in 2017 to over a billion in 2018. Um, basically, they, they looked into it, basically the flavors and the advertising campaign, the social media. This is what was hooking the kids. Um, but but then it gets worse than that. There were, as they explain, you have to watch the documentary to kind of get the gist of this. But there were actually people that were coming into high schools and were pushing Juul as like the safe alternative to smoking, um, even though they didn't really have a problem with kids smoking at that point. Uh, but you had actually people in there pushing this product to the kids, which is just you know kind of you know mind blowing. Uh, the FDA finally, you know, 2017, 2018, the FDA finally begins to wake up to basically say, hey, you know, there might be a problem here. Uh, what was interesting, though, and I think this is a very common issue with a lot of 
Silicon Valley tech issue that, you know, when when the FDA and some some of the government legislators, other people basically started to come in and talk to the the founders of Juul, it was basically like, well, what are you going to do to try to fix this? And it was like, well, you know, tech is always the answer. So more it's just what we need is just more tech. You know, that's what we need. We just need more tech. And it gets into um, the fact that they were you know, they had the ability to because, again, the device plugs into USB. There's an app. Um, they were able to track people's usage. They could tell how much uh, people were using. And so therefore, you know, they knew exactly like if a kid was getting addicted to this stuff, like they knew, like they knew they could see like, oh, okay, these guys are going through two, three cartridges a day of, of this stuff. Therefore, they are now addicted and, and, and they've, you know, got a, they now have a problem. So, <laughs> but, um, but again, as, as we all know, you know, more tech is not necessarily the answer in life. So, uh, so, okay. So moving on here, kind of what happens? Altria, the big tobacco company comes in and purchases a 35% stake in Juul in 2019. Uh, they then use that big bonus to basically pay out $2 billion to all the employees of Juul. So a bunch of the employees got, you know, pretty got much got, you know, a million, $2 million bonuses. Um, Adam and James obviously, obviously made themselves a lot of money out of that. Uh, but then things really begin to turn over the July 4th weekend of 2019. And that's when hospitals started admitting kids with lung problems. Um, after this, basically, moms get involved. Uh, the FDA and Congress start to ask a lot of questions. A lot of the pushback starts. Uh, and then James gets called up onto Capitol Hill to basically testify and do some testimony here. And what comes out is basically that they had they had no evidence that vaping was safer than cigarettes. None. You know, because, again, with a product like this, the problem is, you know, it gets back to that text of philosophy of move fast and break things. Well, but, you know, but again, it's, it's, you know, you weren't really a tech company, you were a cigarette company, and you were you were promoting a cigarette product uh, with nicotine, which is a highly addictive, uh, with a, which is a highly addictive chemical. And, you know, companies, you know, Big Pharma, again, they've gone done decades and decades of research on all this different stuff, uh, psychology, marketing, uh, product advertisement. It's it's why there are so many safeguards around cigarettes today. Um, and again, and, and so it really wasn't a shock. Again, a company that's only been around for, you know, six, seven, eight years um, that they had no evidence that vaping was was uh, was safer than cigarettes. Why? Why would they? Um, so then then you have the statistics start coming out by 2019, that 28% of high school kids and 11% of middle school kids were vaping and had and had vaping problems. Uh, so then Jules' answer to this was to then run a switching campaign uh, to show that how many people had switched from cigarettes to vaping. And the, you know, the irony I see in that is that, you know, they said that they wanted to get rid of cigarettes because cigarettes were quote unquote bad for you. But I, I don't see the idea there is to get people to stop smoking. Like I don't see how you go from smoking a cigarette to vaping, which is hitting you with with more nicotine than the cigarette was, and keeping you addicted to the nicotine. Uh, I, I don't see how that's. I, I don't see at the end of the day how that's really helping anybody. But uh, so I, I just thought that the the whole switching campaign was something that just came off as being completely tone deaf. Um, so now you have kids that are coming forth. These kids have lung damage. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jewel then at this point begins to blame it on 
uh, what's called THC that was basically used in aftermarket products that were being used with the Juul device. So in other words, aftermarket companies were coming up with a with a different formula for the cartridges which use THC. And, uh, and then also, you know, marijuana, other things like that, that were being used in the Juul devices. And that that was what was giving kids the lung damage, not the Juul product itself. I think that remains to be seen. And as you'll see here in a minute, that was kind of one of my criticisms of the documentary was that I would have liked to, uh, I, I kept waiting for them to get to this part of the aftermarket, the drug use that was really fueling the explosion of the vaping amongst kids. And they really didn't get into that. Like they really didn't touch on that. Um, so, so kind of moving on from that now, we get into this. So again, James goes up to Capitol Hill. He's now in front of uh, Congress and he basically gets, you know, just crushed in front of Congress. Things things go really bad. Just doesn't really go well for him there. Uh, now the comp company's got more problems. And then the CEO, Kevin, he goes on to CNBC and it just has a disaster of an interview on CNBC as well. And things are just now they're just rolling downhill. So what kind of happens at the end? Well, between the end of 2019 to I'd say 2022, you have the sales collapse. You have the uh, you have basically the FDA has now put them through a process of being able to introduce new products like what they should have done with their initial product from the very beginning. But anyway, they fail that process. But now they're they're appealing it. Um, Kevin gets fired as the CEO. James and Adam are basically forced out of the company, so they decide to take take off. Uh, Big Tobacco with Altria owning a 35% stake. They now basically come in, take over the company, insert their own CEO, their own marketing people, uh, and they're basically running Juul now. The company has paid out over $3 billion in settlements to people that have been injured from the product. Funny how it's uh, it was the aftermarket stuff and not their product that did it, but yet they still ended up paying out $3 billion in settlements. So Juul is still there. Uh, but the future is is very uncertain. Uh, so I don't know what the, what the remains remains to be seen. What what happens with that? So, um, so this was this whole uh, documentary was really fascinating, and I think you could relate. There was a lot of very similar examples to this in the market right now. Uh, Robinhood, the trading app, uh, which I, I think you know they, you know, Robinhood used a lot of gamification in their app to try to basically get people to get you know hooked on on trading and that's a whole i could do a whole nother episode just on that uh just talking about robin hood and, and things that there, there's a lot of uh unscrupulous things that are going on with robin hood that i don't really like right now like in other words you don't have to pay to trade just like with you know td ameritrade or any of these other big platforms that got rid of their fees but that's only because they're selling their your trading data um to you know high high frequency trading firms and that's how they're making their money which is which is again i have a major problem with which is not not good um ftx obviously sam bankman freed um you know there's just a uh there seems to be a lot of issues with the with the tech industry right now with the, this whole concept of move fast and break something um yeah, that's not so good. And then we we've all just seen recently the just the, the big blow up at OpenAI with Sam Altman and everything that's going on there. Um, you know, and and that fight seemed to be over the you know do you 
you know, do you, you know, how fast do you move? I mean, there were people there that saw concerns with AI and how fast it was moving and the fact that it could potentially be extremely harmful. And I think they just wanted to slow things down a little bit and wanted to, to make sure that there were some guardrails there and that, that things were just being done appropriately. And yet uh, that didn't seem to be the case. It didn't seem to be what was going on right there. Um, also, you've got, you know, gambling, you got, you know, companies like DraftKings, other kings that are other uh, companies that are out there. So uh, a lot of examples out there right now, of just a lot of these supposed tech companies or people in the tech sphere that are doing a lot of things right now that I think are, are being very harmful and very being very detrimental to people out there. So I, I think it might be time to have a conversation about the whole tech philosophy in Silicon Valley of move fast and break things, uh, because I think it's going to lead to a lot of problems for a lot of people here very shortly. But anyway, I digress for a minute. So how does how does this relate back to banking? Um, so I think this is a great case of, you know, when you're in banking, and you, you, you're lending money to businesses. Uh, everybody that comes in has got a great idea. Everybody's got the next big thing. And you really have to stop and you have to think very deeply about what it is you're doing and how are you doing it. Um, you know, bankers are always trained to look at the downside risk. You know, what's the worst case scenario here? If this company blows up, how does it blow up? And and I think that's a very critical lesson. And, and, and what happens is a lot of times, you know, as a banker, you know, people come in and, you know, they feel like you're 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 poo-pooing their idea or you're basically saying like, oh, this is garbage. It'll never work, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, and look, entrepreneurs are are they're, they're entrepreneurs for a reason. They're very enthusiastic. They're very positive. They, they want, you know, they have this. Oh, I've got this great idea. I'm going to go out and conquer the world and this that, and the other thing. And that's all great. Uh, but you, again, you have to you have to be realistic and you have to think uh, very deeply about what it is you're doing and how you're doing it. Uh, what are the potential pitfalls? How could this go horribly wrong? Um, you know, you think, I think I like to say, you know, think of your worst day and what does that look like? What does your worst day look like? And then that, that'll give you some perspective in terms of what do you need to do to make sure that things continue to just, you know, go the right way. So, um, so I think from a banking standpoint, you look at this and you go, you go, okay, well, you're going to market this. How are you going to market this? Oh, we're going to market this to young people. Really? You're going to market a nicotine addicted, potentially nicotine addicting product to young kids. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think, I don't think we want to, I don't think we want to go down that road. That, that sounds like something that's going to end up in disaster, which is exactly, you know, what happened here. But, um, but it doesn't appear that anybody really thought that through it from the, from the beginning. Um, so what are some of the so what are some of the lessons learned here with this i think that you know marketing how you market um obviously leadership management styles you know there's there's a lot more you know one of the things i love about these case studies is it's when you talk about leadership and management you know there's a lot more to running a company than simply having a cool product or, or being a tech savvy person you know, you, you've got to know uh, there's so many things that you got to know of in terms of the in terms of the supply chain uh, out there, but also the, you know, just the the business supply chain, you know, what's going on. I think back to Michael Porter and I think back to uh, all the different things, the value chain and all of the different things that, that he espoused and came and created uh, in terms of thinking about a company and all its different departments and how they all work together and how you need to have everything. Everybody needs to be flowing on the same page 
to make something work and function. So, you know, again, there's just, there's a lot more that goes into a company and you've got to have the right people in place around you to make any company successful. Um, and, you know, and, and again, you, you really have to look at what's the culture of the company, what kind of culture are we creating? Um, and again, these guys were all stuck on this kind of uh, effective altruism thing, which I think needs I think needs its own episode because that was something that came up a lot with the Sam Bankman Freed stuff with FTX. It seems to be uh, very prevalent throughout Silicon Valley right now. So that's something we need to to talk about more in de in depth. Um, so lessons. So again, lessons learned here. Just to recap, uh, don't um, again. You need to make sure you have the right leadership and, and in place that has the right vision uh, that is setting the right type of culture for the company, that you have the right people in the company. You know, don't just hire your friends, hire people that are professionals, that know what they're doing, that have some experience at this stuff. Uh, maybe moving fast and break things is not the best business model. After all, uh, certainly don't market to kids. Uh, you got to be very mindful about social media and how it can go horribly wrong and how, how things can backfire on you. Um, and then, so let's get it here. So what did I, so, okay. So what did I like and what did I dislike about this? So what did I like? I liked it had a great story. Uh, it was well-produced. It had an excellent business case in, in, in of, of what was going on here. It was very entertaining. It was a very interesting story. Um, what did I dislike? There was not enough information around the, the, the drug aftermarket that, you know, what, what was really, what else was happening in the vaping world, so to speak. Um, and then just, again, not enough information on the vaping industry in general. Like, where is it at today? I mean, obviously vaping is, has still become a very big industry, still very popular, you know, there's vape shops all over the place. Um, so even though Juul may be, might be dying out, uh, obviously there's a lot of other companies still out there making, making money off the whole big fate uh, phenomenon. So how do I rate this? Basically, I give this uh, five stars out of five. Um, I think it was, I just thought it was an excellent, uh, it was an excellent documentary, excellent short series there on Netflix. And I would highly recommend anybody to go on and check it out. Uh, I think it was definitely well worth the, uh, well worth the watch. So, um, so with that, I just want to thank everybody for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this review of uh, Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel. It was a great series. Go check it out on Netflix. And uh, definitely come back and check out some of my up other up episodes. If you hadn't had a chance yet to check out the crypto series, I did the first two episodes of that. Uh, next week, I will be coming out, hopefully, with the next uh, two episodes in that installment of the crypto series, basically looking at the implosion in the crypto market in 2022. And then how did that lead into the banking collapse that happened earlier this year of 2023. So, but definitely go, you know, if you like this video, please give me a thumbs up. Please leave a comment below. I love getting comments from people and, and definitely look forward to see if I can interact and, and get some comments back to everybody. Make sure to go check out The Banker Next Door at uh, www.thebankernextdoor.com. Uh, and again, we are on YouTube and Rumble and all major podcast platforms. So please, uh, you know, like I said, give us a like, leave a comment. Uh, that stuff always helps the channel. And I hope to see you everyone again real soon. So thanks a lot and enjoy. Have a great weekend.